We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, hello everyone and welcome to episode 96 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today. We're starting with Gamecocks lacrosse, beating Chapman 15-12, to 12, going to the national championship on Saturday in Salt Lake City. Also, South Carolina baseball facing a pivotal series this weekend as they try to punch their ticket to the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Also, some big-time recruiting news as South Carolina gets an unexpected commitment for the 2020 class. Some drama down in Gainesville, Florida, and some big-time South Carolina defensive backs finally move in on campus over this past week. Also, have a fantastic interview with Ed Marinero, a.k.a. Coach Marty Daniels from the Blue Mountain State TV series, also a big-time fan of Gamecocks Lacrosse, was able to get him on the show in an interview that I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast written to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talk about them a lot. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far. They're the only ticket-buying app I use, the only one that I would recommend to you guys. Um, go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP to get $10 off your first purchase. They've literally got tickets to everything. Whether you want to go to South Carolina Gamecocks events, obviously Gamecocks hosting Kentucky this weekend, all three games at Founders Park. If you're trying to go to that, go to SeatGeek, download the SeatGeek app, look up the tickets there. But it, does, but it doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be South Carolina sports, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, NFL, college football, obviously when it comes back around. But concerts, comedy club events, you name it, anything that you need tickets to, go download the SeatGeek app, use that promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. It's really that simple. They've actually got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on a color coding system. So you know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal or if maybe you're paying a little bit too much. Again, those guys are great. I would not recommend anyone else to get your tickets through. Download SeatGeek, use the promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. All right, appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs Up Show, as always, coming to you. Uh, Big-time show today. As you, as you guys have noticed, normally we drop the shows on Monday and Thursday. This week, Tuesday, Friday, due to some scheduling issues, due to once we dropped that initial show on Tuesday, I wanted to push this one back as well. And I'm really, really, really glad we did because Thursday was a big-time news day, a lot of big-time things happening. It seemed to work out perfectly this week. I'm so, so glad we waited because, again, Thursday was supposed to be kind of a calm day, nothing really going on, nothing big in South Carolina news or 
football news, SEC football news, anything in general like that. And it was a news dump almost, if you will. A lot of stuff going on. I want to start, though, in a place that I have never started the podcast before, and that is talking about Gamecocks lacrosse. South Carolina Gamecocks lacrosse beats Chapman Thursday night 15-12 to to advance the national title game, the D1 national title game. South Carolina, the first SELC team to make the national title game, which if you're unfamiliar with what SELC is, which I was, I can pull it up here. It is Southeastern Lacrosse Conference Championship, or excuse me, Southeastern Lacrosse Conference, um, which basically consists of a bunch of teams because lacrosse right now for South Carolina is a club sport. So South Carolina, the first one to do so from the SELC. They will play Cal on Saturday in Salt Lake City. Um, South Carolina Gamecocks club sports really killing it right now. You look at South Carolina hockey, what they did, uh, Gamecocks lacrosse now going to the national title, the D1 national title. Um, South Carolina might need to look into making lacrosse and hockey legitimate, like big time sports at South Carolina because those guys are actually, actually absolutely tearing it up. Big time for those guys. We're actually planning on having a little spoiler alert. We're actually planning on having the Gamecocks lacrosse head coach on the show next week. If we can get him on, hopefully after a big time national title win. But a 15 to 12 win over Chapman again. I'm not going to pretend like to you guys that I know anything about lacrosse because I'll be completely honest, I don't. But I can tell you if this team, honestly, tonight was probably the, or excuse me, last night, Thursday night was probably the first lacrosse game that I've ever watched start to finish. And it was actually a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. This team is a lot of fun. There's a lot of scoring. Obviously, it's very quick moving, very quick paced. Um, like I said, a lot of scoring. Sam Weiss for South Carolina, number 87, is an absolute beast. Um, so be sure to keep an eye out on him. They also have Giles, who's a beast. Uh, their goalie, I can't remember his name, but um, was a brick wall in the fourth quarter for South Carolina. But Gamecocks lacrosse, shout out to those guys. Again, going to the national title, a huge 15-12 win over the Chapman Panthers. Um, and South Carolina will take on the Cal Golden Bears in Salt Lake City on Saturday. I think the time is still to be determined at this point, but we will definitely post that on our social media feeds. But big time, definitely want to start with Gamecocks lacrosse, give those guys their due, and give them the uh, the credit they deserve, no doubt. All right, let's move into some South Carolina baseball. South Carolina has a pivotal, pivotal series this weekend um, against the Kentucky Wildcats. I know most people have checked out on this 2019 season, but South Carolina – Still with an opportunity to get the Hoover Alabama and get in the SEC tournament, maybe make some noise. Um, Gamecocks and Wildcats really, really in a series to, you know, determine who's going to be in the cellar to end the SEC season. Get Wildcats come in this one as well. Same record as South Carolina, 24 and 24 overall, 6 and 18 in the conference. So just one game better than South Carolina, which is obviously why it is a huge SEC series for both teams. Um, like I said, the tournament bid on the line, South Carolina right now sitting dead last in the SEC out of all 14 teams. Only the top 12 of 14 make it. Um, it's really at the bottom three. You've got Kentucky, Alabama, and South Carolina, and obviously Alabama holds the tiebreaker over South Carolina. So this one, to me, is a must-win, obviously. Um, really probably a must-sweep for South Carolina if they've got Hoover on their mind. Um, Kentucky comes into this one, 231 team average, 566 ERA and that is in conference play. So, obviously, the team average is much, much better than South Carolina, who is hitting below 200. I think they're hitting 194 in SEC play. Gamecocks are over six as well, ERA in conference play. But, you know, not to sugarcoat it here, this is two of the worst teams you're going to see in the SEC. And to any of those who are going out to Founders Park, I actually may be out there this weekend. Um, you know, it's it, – I'm very – I think we're going to learn a lot. I talked about this on Tuesday's show. I think we're going to learn a lot about this South Carolina baseball team as far as how much pride they have this weekend. 
Um, South Carolina facing more injuries. It is crazy how snake-bitten this South Carolina program has been over the last year. With injuries, uh, Mark Kingston announcing today or Thursday that John Gilreath out for the season. Um, for what reason, I do not know. Cameron Majinski, as we all knew, was out, but he's taking a red shirt now. Um, Kingston actually mentioned that Josiah Seitler and Brady Allen, two freshmen, are going to be available to pitch this weekend because South Carolina, I think, is down to nine available pitchers. Um, and obviously the big question for South Carolina is can they finally win their first SEC series? This is obviously going to be their best chance to do so the next weekend or the following weekend, if you will. South Carolina goes to start. We'll take on Mississippi State, who is a you know top ten team, top five team, a team considered to go to Omaha. Um, and that one's going to be very, very tough if you're South Carolina. So this one, obviously a, a must sweep in my opinion, because you have to think you're going to go to start one win probably at best one of three games. Um, again, like I talked on Tuesday, though, getting back to that, it, we're going to learn a lot about this team this weekend, in my opinion, simply from the, the pride standpoint. Because I think the question a lot of South Carolina fans have had, and I've had it as well, has this team checked out in the 2019 season? Um, because it would be very easy to do so. You know, Carolina, I think, sitting at, 24 and 24 and 5 and 19 in the SEC coming off of a, you know, brutal loss at home, another way to put it, to Furman. Um, so this South Carolina team obviously looking to bounce back. Again, the non-conference games to me don't really make any difference because South Carolina just is who it is at this point. It needs to win an SEC series. If you beat, even if you beat Furman 15 to 0, it doesn't give anybody any more confidence that South Carolina's coming into this weekend and getting this week. Um, Again, Gamecocks have not won an SEC series. That's just all you can really say. And, you know, honestly, if I'm giving a prediction for this series, I don't pick South Carolina to win because they've given me no reason to do so. I'd pick Kentucky to win two of three right now. Um, but I think South Carolina's got the talent, even with the injuries, the pitching staff. Like, I think South Carolina has the guys necessary to win this weekend and win this series overall. But it's going to be a tall task, no doubt. It's going to be a very, very tall order for South Carolina to – you know, just to, to overcome everything. But, again, I think we're going to learn a lot as far as the pride, where these guys' heads are at, because, it, again, it'd be very easy to close up shop. A lot of guys, you know, most of these guys are playing summer ball somewhere in some, some collegiate wood bat league. It'd be easy for a lot of these guys to just, again, kind of close up shop, look ahead to that, really just check out on the season. It's been a brutal season. Um, but can Mark Kingston and staff really rally the troops, get these guys focused and say, hey, let's take advantage of the opportunity. Let's go out there, win two of three. Let's get a sweep and let's – let, you know, you're playing for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. Is it more what, What's more important? So I, I'm just very interested to see more so the mindset of this team and how this team comes out to play. Reed Morgan getting the start tomorrow, uh, on Friday. Um, Cam Tringali getting the start on Saturday. And then TBA on Sunday, which is something we've become very accustomed to. But I think overall you can win with that starting rotation this weekend. I know the pitching, again, is very, very, very limited. South Carolina's offense needs to step up. It hasn't really done so all season. Um, but South Carolina's offense needs to step up. You need guys like – and this is basically senior weekend. You know, senior day is going to be on Saturday. First pitches, by the way, Friday at 7, Saturday at noon, and Sunday at noon, which whoever thought two back-to-back -back noon games on the weekend was a good idea, I have no clue. Um, but senior day going to be a Saturday at noon. You know, a lot of guys walking. I think T.J. Hopkins, Jacob Olson, Chris Cullen. Those are guys that need to have a big weekend this weekend. To, you know, in their career on the right foot at Founders Park – and also help lift South Carolina to a series series win. Because as bad as this season has been, nobody wants to <clears throat> nobody wants to look back on this season and say South Carolina did not win one SEC series. Like that, that's just not a record that 
that anybody wants to have set. So, you know, I, you know, I personally, maybe it's more so hoping I'm thinking that South Carolina is going to come out and play with some fire and really come out and it's going to kind of all come to a head this weekend and the Gamecocks are going to take care of business and get the sweep. But I simply just can't predict it because South Carolina has not shown us anything that would lead to us thinking that's going to happen. Um, so I'm picking Kentucky two of three, but again, I am very intrigued to see how this team comes out mentally. What, what is their approach like? Um, what is the energy like in the dugout? We know it's going to be a very, very sparse crowd at Founders Park. I mean, you know, the fans have hung in there as long as they could in this season. And it's just, you know, it's a shame. It's unfortunate. But this has been obviously one of the most brutal South Carolina baseball seasons any of us can all remember. So um, what type of energy does the South Carolina baseball team, those guys in the locker room, what do they bring to the field? I'll be very interested to see that as well. Um, all right, let's move into some recruiting news. Big-time recruiting, big-time spurs up today. Uh, Mohamed Kaba, the 2024-star linebacker to Clinton, North Carolina. He commits to South Carolina, which I knew threw everyone by surprise, including me. He was a major, major lean to NC State, a very big-time surprise get, like I mentioned, I believe, on 247 Sports, Cabo was 89% leaning to NC State. I believe that's that's what they uh, what they had it at. Um, and a big-time get for South Carolina. And we've talked about before, linebackers, a position of need for South Carolina. Um, you know, Gamecocks are looking for playmakers there, and I think Cabo could be a guy that comes in and plays very, very early and has an immediate impact for South Carolina. Was reading some different things on social media. Um, definitely one thing I saw our good friend Brad Crawford talking about Kaba. He is actually, you know, Brad Crawford lives kind of in the same area, I believe, or close nearby to where Kaba is, has been able to watch him in person. And he talked about he, he believes he could be the best linebacker South Carolina's had since Sky Moore. Really has drawn some high praise. Uh, whenever you're comparing somebody to Sky Moore, I mean, obviously a guy that tied the all-time interceptions at South Carolina with 14 and a guy that was just a, a consistent playmaker, led the team in tackles four straight years. That's a big time. Uh, that's some big time accolades or big time recognition, if you will, or just a big time comparison. So, Mohamed Kaba, big time Spurs up. You have to, you know, you have to just tip your cap again to what T. Rob, Will Muschamp, this staff are doing in recruiting. Um, and it really, 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 again, in my opinion, fills a need for South Carolina. It's funny. I don't want to get too much off the topic with this commitment. It's only positive because a four-star linebacker, again, addressing the area of need. South Carolina continuing to build an elite defense, which I fully believe is what you need to win big in the SEC and win big in general. I still believe defense wins championships. But not to get too off track, but you guys heard me talk on Tuesday. One of the, you know, one of the big things I talked about was – fan perspective and just why South Carolina fans should be positive and things of that nature, not focusing so much on what Clemson is doing. Um, and I think that message was well received, but I, I thought something spoke to that very, very interesting today was talking with a, uh, with a colleague of mine, if you will, someone that I know, someone that I know fairly well that follows the Spurs up show doesn't necessarily listen to every single episode, but follows the Spurs up show again, as a good friend of mine and a huge South Carolina fan, Older gentleman has been since uh, probably the uh, the seventies or eighties, if you will. Um, I mentioned to him today. This was today, or uh, excuse me, Thursday. That uh, you know, South Carolina had gotten a commitment from Mohamed Kaba, four star linebacker. He didn't really know who he was. He's not a guy that you know follows it hardcore, hardcore. But you know, I mentioned it to him that South Carolina got a four star commitment. Um, his first reaction to the news was, "We need to be getting five stars." We need to be getting – oh, that, I guess that's okay. We should be getting five stars, though. 
because Clemson and Georgia and those guys are getting five stars. And to me, that type of mentality just speaks to, you know, and I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way, but that type of mentality to me speaks to just how mentally fragile the success of South Carolina's rivals has made Gamecock fans. I mean, when you're getting upset or, you know, you're not happy about getting a four-star player at a position of need as well. Now, we're not, I'm not just talking to some random guy. At a position of need, nonetheless, that is not good. And, you know, he went on to make some very good points, obviously, for South Carolina fans. It's been a very much, very much a struggle. Um, and then you see the success that Clemson and Georgia are having. And, you know, it's, it's been tough on Gamecock fans. But to me, to be robbed of the happiness of getting a four-star commit, a four-star recruit to commit to your school over, you know, especially a blue chipper, a blue chip recruit, four-star blue chip recruit to commit to your school, um, just crazy. I, I just thought I'd let you guys know about that conversation I had because it blew my mind and it really confirmed, you know, my, <clears throat> my previous thoughts and stuff that, I, stuff that I've talked about, which is the success of those schools has really taken a mental toll on Gamecock fans. And, again, I, I agree that South Carolina needs, needs to start winning those games and certainly competing in those games better than they have. But please, South Carolina fans, do not let those – you know, do not let that affect your happiness on when South Carolina gets a four-star recruit, it's simply not good enough. And that just to me is, is mind blowing. So that's my little piece on that. But overall, all positive. I just thought it was very, very interesting. My buddy's reaction, but Muhammad Kaba, big time commitment obviously has to stick, but I definitely think I like what I'm seeing from Will Muschamp and T Rob and the guys they're bringing in building up again, that defense to an elite level. Um, Want to talk about this as well, sticking to football. Like I mentioned, Thursday, a huge, huge news day. And there was a lot of drama coming out of Gainesville, Florida. Former Gamecocks uh, target, if you will, defensive back Chris Steele, someone I know we're all familiar with. Um, he is now transferring from the University of Florida. You heard that right. He is now transferring from the University of Florida um, in a very, very interesting situation. So his roommate, Jalen Jones, uh, quarterback, four-star quarterback, transferred a couple weeks ago. He got involved in some issues with a uh, with a female on campus in his dorm room, basically some inappropriate stuff going on. Um, he was getting in trouble, if you will. I can't remember the exact charges or allegations or whatever, uh, some sexual misconduct, we'll say. Anyways, Jalen Jones is transferring. It comes out today that Chris Steele apparently uh, requested a room change, if you will, because he saw what was going on. The football staff sort of ignored him is how it came off and said that they would change his room in the summer. Wasn't quick enough for Chris Steele, and he is officially out of Gainesville after 15 practices. There was also rumors swirling, uh, swirling around that Jaden Hill might, might also be gone with him, a former Gamecocks target as well. Um, I haven't seen Jaden Hill news yet. I, it looks like right now Jaden Hill will stay, but Chris Steele, I mean, a big-time big time recruit, a guy that was considered a gem in the Florida Gators recruiting class, He's officially gone. So what does it all really mean? A lot of people have asked, do you think South Carolina, would he come to South Carolina? Obviously, we know Chris Steele's a big, you know, a, a very, very good friend of Ryan Holinsky, Gamecocks quarterback. I personally don't think Chris Steele is coming to South Carolina. I know a lot of Gamecock fans are still very salty about what he said about South Carolina having the, um, quote, most annoying fans, I guess is what he said. Um so, you know, I don't think he comes to South Carolina. If I had to predict, I think Chris Steele will transfer back to California, go to SoCal, um, go to Southern Cal and be at home. I think that's the biggest thing. But 
the overall situation in Gainesville, man, I mean, it's just crazy with the Dan Mullen thing because, you know, Dan Mullen in, in Florida has been worrying so much about trying to troll the Georgia Bulldogs and, you know, talking to these different numbers and stuff, how many days it's been since Georgia's won a national championship. Listen, I hate Georgia too, but maybe he should have been focusing on Chris Steele and what he was asking for because now he's not on campus anymore. And, I mean, you know, from the Gator fans that I've talked to, they are already th- already thin the secondary. Um, so, it just very, very – I mean, you you know, selfishly as a South Carolina fan, you love to see the drama going on down in Florida – while South Carolina's picking up a big-time commitment, Florida is literally falling apart at the seams. Um, so it's definitely fun to watch from a Gamecock perspective. But, no, I don't think Chris Steele's coming to South Carolina. I mean, listen, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I would be somewhat shocked, um, you know, if he came to South Carolina. I just, I just don't see it happening again. I think he will go – I think he will go back home. I think he'll go to Southern Cal. But you never know. I mean, recruiting is crazy. Um, he obviously entered his name in the transfer portal, so he can really go anywhere. Um, I wonder, you know, I wonder if Will Muschamp is giving him a call. I, I really do. I wonder if Will Muschamp is giving him and his family a call because, you know, if there's one thing, I feel like even the guys that Will Muschamp doesn't get in recruiting and T-Rob don't get, they build relationships. There's no question about especially T-Rob. I remember specifically in the steel recruitment, they build relationships, and there's no doubt about that. So. Could South Carolina be in the mix? I mean, I think it's definitely a possibility. But, again, if I had to guess, if I had to put my money on it, I say he goes back to, to California, goes back home, be around his family, be somewhere he's comfortable, and he'll be at Southern Cal. But, again, I'm not in the room with the kid. I don't know the kid. Um, you never really know. But wouldn't it – I mean, the irony of it all, the irony if, of if he came to South Carolina after the comments he made is, well, I wonder how that – I wonder – what the feeling would be with the fan base or just kind of how that would go down. I mean, obviously you're getting a fantastic player and a kid, a kid that I think if Chris Steele were to come to South Carolina, he would play immediately. There's no question in my mind. He would be somewhere in that secondary. I'm not sure I would say he was starting, but he would certainly, certainly be somewhere in that secondary for South Carolina, but overall to be something to watch, but overall the, 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 the drama in Gainesville has been, you know, again, selfishly, very, very, very fun to to follow and take part in and just kind of soak it all in because anything bad that can happen to Florida Gators, I think we'll all, I think we'll all take that. Um, some big-time news for Gamecocks football as well. Speaking of big-time defensive backs, uh, three of which have finally moved in for South Carolina, Shiloh Sanders, Jamie Robinson, and Cam Smith all finally moved in. We expected those guys to be in for the Maymester. They have done that. Um, very, very cool, obviously, to see all the videos. All the, it, it, you know, it definitely hypes you up, especially especially the Shiloh Sanders one. I mean, I, I talked about this on social media on Thursday when it happened and that, you know, it, the, the, the impact that a guy like Deion Sanders publicly endorsing the University of South Carolina, Will Muschamp, T-Rob, to get that type of endorsement and get that blessing from a Hall of Famer and a guy like Deion Sanders, I don't think people truly understand the impact that has on the Gamecocks football program. I mean, mean, this isn't just some – I mean, with all due respect to Joe Horn, because Joe Horn's a big name, but Joe Horn is not Deion Sanders. I mean, when South Carolina Gamecocks football account is putting up – and there were tons of great videos. Those guys had a great job of Deion and Shiloh coming into Columbia and Shiloh moving in and Deion being in the video – and, you know, Dion looking at the indoor facility and talking about Sterling Sharp and, 
you know, Dion talking about how much he loves the campus and all that good stuff. I mean, that is huge, huge, huge endorsement for the University of South Carolina, not just locally, nationally, on a national scale. I mean, Deion Sanders is a national guy that, you know, I think he's got over a million followers or something like that on Instagram. Like, everybody knows who Deion Sanders is. So, to have his son at South Carolina, listen, I don't know what type of player his son will be. You have to imagine that he's going to be, you know, I don't know if he'll be as good as J.C. Horn now in his freshman season, but he's going to have that mentality, that that swagger about himself, that, you know, he's growing up around a dad that was in the NFL. He's going to have that type of demeanor and that type of confidence, if you will. Um, but, man, the impact of having a guy like Deion Sanders give his blessing, and that's the thing, you know, not to turn this into, again, anything, you know, un, uh, unnecessary, if you will, but the fans that, to me at this point, if you're a fan that's still bashing Will Muschamp, you can have your opinions on him, no doubt, but if you're just bashing Will Muschamp and saying he's a terrible head coach and he'll never get it done here, listen, it's, it's okay to have doubts creep in, have your doubts on a guy, but to me, when I look at Will Muschamp, because I, listen, I'm still a guy, hey, the verdict's still out on Will Muschamp. I like him, though. I like what he's brought to Carolina, the organization structure, the overall building of the program, trying to get the defense a lead again. The recruiting, obviously, has stepped up immensely. I don't think that can be argued. Um, but when a guy like Deion Sanders is giving his blessing on Will Muschamp, I think Deion Sanders knows a little bit more about football and football coaches and things of that nature than Joe Schmo on Twitter does. That's all I'm going to say. So, I mean, if you're a South Carolina Gamecocks football fan, what I'm trying to say is this should make you feel fantastic because it's almost weird. Like, it felt, uh, you know, it almost felt surreal. You know, we all heard a shallow Sanders commits to South Carolina or whatever signs with South Carolina. But it almost felt surreal to me with the whole Dion aspect until you see the videos, the videos of them moving him and him on campus. It's like, wow, that's Dion Sanders. Like, Dion Sanders is going to be at Williams Rice Stadium. Dion Sanders is going to be at South Carolina football games. Like, that is crazy to think that, that when's the last time that type of star power was around Columbia, like hanging around Columbia? I mean, that, that's star power, man. There's no doubt. And that is definitely going to help South Carolina. On a, on a national scale. I have no doubt in my mind that's going to help South Carolina on a national scale. And, again, if, if you're someone that is, that is, you know, doubting Will Muschamp, look at Deion Sanders. If Deion Sanders is giving his blessing to Will Muschamp and T-Rob and what they're building at South Carolina, I, I think, again, that's a guy that knows a little something about South Carolina or knows a little something about football in general. Um, and, again, should make you feel really, really good in my opinion, about the direction of the program and what Will Muschamp is building if you're a Gamecocks fan. Don't want to, you know, obviously I spent a ton of time talking about Shiloh. Don't want to miss out on the other guys as well. Jamie Robinson and Cam Smith, two guys that I think will have a very, very big opportunity. And what I wrote down here is, you know, what type of impact could these three young defensive backs have in 2019? Because it's funny, you see all three guys moving at the same time, really all three playing the same position, all three very, very highly regarded. Um, you know, I think all three could play a ton. I really, I, I, I've talked before that I think Cam Smith could be this year's J.C. Horn. Um, he's a guy that comes in with a lot of praise, a you know, a lot of uh, high expectations. I think for him as well. I think the good news for these guys is that they won't all necessarily have to be thrust into, you know, a lot of playing time early necessarily. They won't, they won't be thrust into it sort of like J.C. Horn was because I think South Carolina 
you know, at least has their starting lineup set right now. Now, where do these guys figure into that? It's going to be very – I'm going to be very, very curious to see. But I think these are all three guys that have huge impacts for South Carolina. I'd be shocked if we don't see them on the field at some point. Um, I, I don't – you know, you can play up to four games and get a red shirt. I would be surprised if all three of these guys are red shirting, especially, you know, again, a guy like Cam Smith, a guy like Jamie Robinson's a guy I think they've talked about possibly using in the return game a guy who's pretty electric with the ball in his hands, and then Shiloh Sanders. Again, I think Shiloh Sanders is sort of the wild card. They've actually talked about he's more – he grew up more of a baseball player, which I think is very interesting, but a guy they're very excited about getting in the weight room, getting him in football activities, and seeing what he can do as he develops as a football player. Um, And, again, you just have to think a guy that is the the descendant, the son of Deion Sanders of prime time is going to have – some big-time athletic ability. Um, <clears throat> so I'm very interested to see kind of what what type of player Shiloh Sanders develops into. But I'm very, very confident, especially in Jamie Robinson and Cam Smith. Those guys are going to be big-time, very, very big-time impact guys for the Gamecocks early and often for South Carolina. Um, all right, cool. So let's get into some listener questions. Got some good listener questions. I do apologize. One thing I want to say, do apologize to you guys. I put the listener questions out on Wednesday. Um so it expired around noon Wednesday, and then all the news came in. So I'm sure if you had any questions about anything going on, I'm going to put another, uh, another question link out from Monday's show on Saturday afternoon. Please ask all those questions there because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a ton to talk about, again, still with the, all the football stuff, all the football news, the drama going on in Florida, all that good stuff. So we've got to get a couple listener questions again. We'll start with Gamecock Swag, 1999. His question's pretty simple. Why does Carolina baseball suck? Um, that is a good question. I think I've talked about this before. You know, I think it's simply just a combination of a depleted pitching staff, which we've seen even more of that with John Gilreath and TJ Shook being out. South Carolina thinks only got eight or nine healthy arms available now. Um, but really the reasons that South Carolina baseball sucks this year is a depleted pitching staff and an extremely inconsistent lineup. And some major misses just in regards to guys you thought were going to contribute. I'm looking dead at you, Noah Campbell. So, you know, just some, some, some major misses there as well. And, it, you know, it, this season really felt like, you know, once it spun out of control, um, it, it just the momentum of the season just kind of took it that way. I mean, I, I think really, you know, losing that series in Tuscaloosa was a major blow to the season. Hell, I think losing the series in, in, uh, in Knoxville, I think that was a major blow to the season as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been a combination of different things, but simply put, a depleted pitching staff and an extremely inconsistent lineup. Um, by Brantley Strickland asked, more important to USC Board of Trustees when evaluating Ray Tanner. Facilities, graduation rates, and then the question stops because he ran out of typing. Um, I think the most important thing, though, when USC Board of Trustees is evaluating Ray Tanner, again, I think it's just growth in the athletics programs as a whole. Um, you know, my, my question to South Carolina fans who don't like Ray Tanner, listen, I've talked about Ray Tanner and the type of hot seat he could be on if next, next year doesn't go good for the big three sports. I have, I'm not, I'm not saying Ray Tanner's above being fired cause he's certainly not, but <clears throat> what exactly, you know, if you're a South Carolina fan, what is Ray Tanner not doing right now that you want him to be doing? Because to me, you know, I think he's not doing a terrible job. I'm not saying he's doing a great job. Obviously, the way the big three sports perform are not acceptable, but what is it really that Ray Tanner can do about that besides drop the ax on a couple guys? I mean, you're not going to fire Mark Kingston. 
you're not going to fire Will Muschamp unless he goes 0-12, which is not going to happen. And anytime you talk about firing Frank Martin, South Carolina fans lose their shit. So what do you want him to do? I mean, what do you want him to do? Um, I think the program's in a good place right now. I think South Carolina fans, honestly, are just looking for someone to blame. I, I Again, I'm not trying to demonize South Carolina fans or call out South Carolina fans, but I just think winning cures everything. If South Carolina can go out and have a good football season this fall, a decent season, hell, eight and four, nine and three, God forbid, nobody's going to be talking about firing Ray, Ray Tanner. Nobody. Um, J.K. Gill, 34. Should we start throwing three freshman starters on the weekend to see what they got? Um, you know, I don't hate the move. I don't hate the idea. South Carolina's obviously not doing that. They're going to play to win. They're throwing uh, Reed Morgan and Cam Tringali. Um, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't hate the idea of just putting guys in different situations at this point because you've got nothing to play for. I mean, I don't want to actually, I'll take that back. You do have something to play for in the sense of the SEC tournament. I, you've certainly got something to play for this weekend, but just from an overall sense and overall standpoint, I do like getting some young guys in there. I mean, because the season, as far as what the goals are and what you're looking to accomplish is sort of a lost cause because, you know, I talked about before, I wouldn't mind seeing – I wouldn't have minded seeing a guy like Dylan Harley get that Sunday start. I just – throwing guys out there and experimenting a little bit, I think, it would be something I'm open to. Um, but, obviously, they're trying to win as, as many baseball games as they can. They're trying to win every single game they have left and, obviously, get into the SEC tournament. I mean, just getting to Hoover is obviously the, uh, you know, the big goal now. Um, Stokes underscore Huey asks, will Mark Kingston be on the hot seat entering next season? That's a great question and a conversation that I was having with somebody earlier today. You know, I don't know if hot seat is the right term because I don't think Mark Kingston will be fired for next year. I just don't. I, I don't, you know, and things would have to go. I'll tell you this, another season like this, if South Carolina were to go back-to-back seasons like this, because there's a difference in having a disappointing year and the year that South Carolina's having this year. Um, another season of this, I, I still don't think they would fire him, but man, I mean, his seat would be boiling, but I don't think he's in the, he's not necessarily on the hot seat going into next season. Is there pressure? Absolutely. His seats, I'll say his seats warm, his seats warm in the sense that there are major expectations at South Carolina. And listen, this fan base is just not going to expect or accept any less than making the postseason every single year. They're just not. And, and they shouldn't. I mean, this, 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 this fan base should not accept anything less. And I, I know that – listen, Mark Kingston knows that. This staff knows that. But – and it's good, in my opinion. It's good to have that pressure um, because it's going to either bring the best out of you or it's going to show you that this, this, this job is too big for you and you need somebody else. And I, I think this is the – you know, I think Mark Kingston's 100% the man for the job. I'm not trying to imply that he's not, but – Overall, I mean, I think his seat will be warm in the sense that there are expectations and there will be pressure. I don't think he's on the hot seat necessarily saying, if you don't hit this number of wins or if this doesn't happen, you're fired. They're just, you're not going to get anywhere in life as, you know, as an athletics program, whatever sport it is, firing coaches every three years. You're, you're just not going to do it. You're just not going to get, you know, I can promise you Gamecock fans, this program – is not going to get back to the way it was recycling coaches every three years. It's just not. But I agree that next season, you know, even with guys transferring, the injuries, you know, losses from the lineup, you know, Ray Tanner said it best at the beginning of this season, 
the the players change, but the expectations absolutely do not. So, you know, it, it's going to be very, very big, very important for this staff to kind of figure out what's going on, get their recruits in, figure out what they need to change in the offseason and come back ready to go in 2020. Because, again, it, it's going to be – very tough for South Carolina fans to sit through another season similar to this. It's just it's just going to be, you know, very, 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 very tough. And I know that one thing those guys care about in the, uh, you know, the board or whatever, Ray Tanner, they they want to sell tickets. I mean, they they want to get get asses in the seats in Founders Park. And I mean, if you're not winning, especially when you're this bad, I mean, look at this weekend. There won't be anybody in that ballpark this weekend. So. No, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but there will be pressure on next season. There is no question about that. Um, appreciate the listener questions. Again, I will get the link out on Instagram on Saturday afternoon so you guys have all the time in the world to ask all the questions, your reactions from everything that happened over the week, especially, like I said, Thursday was a huge, huge news day. Um, so be sh- I'll be sure to do that. Um, that's going to pretty much do it for me. We've got an interview coming up that I'm very, very, very excited about. You guys are probably wondering. I know – this is kind of a random interview, if you will. Uh, it's not obviously a Gamecock grade or anything of that nature, but someone that is a noted Gamecocks lacrosse supporter. Um, if you've seen his video on um, different outlets, if you will, about him supporting Gamecocks lacrosse, and someone that, I'll be honest with you guys, selfishly, I wanted to bring on the show, Ed Marinero, a.k.a. Coach Marty Daniels from Blue Mountain State. I'm so excited. This interview, this is probably the most hysterical interview that's ever been put on the airwaves on any podcast ever especially this one. I mean, just a fantastic interview. You know, we talk everything from Gamecocks to his, his playing career, his acting career, um, being on being really the star, in my opinion, of Blue Mountain State. Just a fantastic interview. Before we get into all that, it's brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. I talk about them all the time. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. They're the only one that I use. If you're getting tickets to literally anything, of course, South Carolina Gamecocks events, but anything doesn't even have to be sports, concerts, comedy club events. Um, if you're going to M- any NBA playoff games, NHL, you name it. If you're getting tickets to literally anything, go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P. To save $10 off your, fir- your first purchase, they actually rate the tickets based on a ticket rating system. They make it super, super simple and very, very easy. So, I mean, if you're trying to buy tickets to literally anything, like I said, use the best ticket buying app and save yourself some money in the process. Again, that's the pr- that's the promo code Spurs Up. Go download SeatGeek and use our promo code Spurs Up to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with Ed Marinero, or as you better know him as Coach Marty Daniels from Blue Mountain State. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is one of the most excited times I've been for an interview. You know him better as Marty, Coach Marty Daniels from Blue Mountain State lately known as a South Carolina Gamecocks lacrosse supporter, someone I've been wanting to get on the show. I want to welcome Ed Marinero. Ed, appreciate you taking the time, man. I, like I said, I'm just elated to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to uh, good to talk to you. Um, yes, I am a, a Gamecocks lacrosse supporter, one of my good buddies. His son plays on the team. Uh, and... Um, yeah, so I've been following him, and I'm rooting for him. And I, when I can help out by doing a little video like that, so that was kind of kind of fun, and hopefully it, uh, it motivated those idiots. So. <laughs> yeah, we, 
like we were talking in the pre-show obviously your uh you know the video that went viral obviously on social media you uh you showing your support of the Gamecocks lacrosse team I, I want to get into your background you know as far as you and obviously the Blue Mountain State series and I'm sure everyone listening to this is familiar with but let's just kind of start there the jumping point I mean how I know you said that your I guess your friend's son is on the team but how did it come about where you became a Gamecocks fan if you will and how did the video come about as well because like we were talking about, I think it hit like 2 million views or something crazy like that. And I mean, really, really took off. Two and a half million. <laughs> Two and a half million. There you go. Give him the credit. But, but who, but who's, who's counting? <laughs> so, uh, a good friend of mine um, is uh, his son. I live in Charleston now. So I've become sort of a transplanted uh, Charlestonian, South Carolinian, and um, went to, got to go to a, Gamecocks game a couple of years ago. They played Missouri, and I guess you can't help but uh, either be a USC. Where I come from, USC was uh, Southern California, mm-hmm. so uh, this is sort of a, an adjustment for me. Anyway, we, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I live here, and I'm, uh, you know, I kind of like to support uh, everything that's South Carolina now. And my buddy asked me if I would do a little video for the lacrosse team in there before their game against Clemson. And it was just fun. You know, I mean, I like Clemson. I got to meet Dabo uh, a couple of years ago. I was at the, you know, I'm in the college football hall of fame and I go to, I've been trying to go to the hall of fame dinner every year in New York that they, when they induct all the new hall of famers. And I just sort of looking for some free drinks. And I went to the South Carolina party they had there and I met Dabo which is kind of cool and uh but you know I'm I'm a fan of South Carolina but you know I did the video for the for the Gamecocks so it was kind of kind of fun but um you know it's uh it's great being sort of a starting a new life here I've been here for eight years and in in Charleston so it's uh like I said you sort of have to become a fan of the, the teams here in South Carolina yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I sort of preferred you when you said when you were talking about Clemson there. I sort of prefer the uh, you talking about the Clemson Tigers being the Clemson pussies over you uh, you being fans <laughs> of the Tigers. So I'll, I'll be completely honest. I I prefer that side of you a little more than what you just said. Well, I'm gonna let it slide because, uh, like I said, well, okay, okay. <laughs> well, you know, look, these guys all are. You know, I'm a. You know, I I respect their. You know, their abilities. You know, I got a I got a 16 and a half year old son who's a who's a stud and he's plays uh football basketball and lacrosse um at bishop england high school in uh, in charleston and just mm-hmm. got he's a sophomore and he just was named second team all lower state in south carolina in lacrosse and um so i i kind of um you know i'm a i'm, I'm i follow that stuff so and lacrosse has become a sport. I never got to play when I was, you know, when I was in college. We had a, I went to Cornell. We had a great lacrosse team, but I didn't play lacrosse. Sorry, I didn't. It's a great game. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, like you said, I, I want to get – you just mentioned you played football at Cornell. I want to get into your background because it's funny. Again, you know, like I mentioned earlier, everybody knows you as Coach Marty Daniels from Blue Mountain State, and that was, I mean, obviously the, the first time that I had ever – you know, seen, heard about you, anything like that. When you look in your background, though, you you obviously have a very, very good football background. You mentioned you're in the College Football Hall of Fame. I want to go back there. You're from New Mil- or played high school football in New Milford, New Jersey. Um, 
played college football, like you mentioned, at Cornell. And it's something I didn't know reading up. You set over 16 NCAA records, first running back in NCAA history, run for over 4,000 career rushing yards. And you led the nation in rushing in both 1970 and 1971. Not too bad. Actually, the runner-up to the Heisman Trophy to Pat Sullivan in 1971 as well. And I believe it was the highest finish for any Ivy League player um, since something like the 1950s or something like that. Just kind of just talk about your football career, because obviously you are a football guy, no doubt. I'm going to get to the NFL career in a second, but you, um, for the time, had one of the most decorated college careers. And like you mentioned, being part of the College Football Hall of Fame, um, you're certainly recognized for it. Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, again, this is uh, this is a different time, but I was pretty heavily recruited uh, to play football in college, some pretty, you know, pretty big time schools. And um, I also was recruited as a basketball player um, back in the day. And yeah, I'm a Northeastern guy, and who knows why, but I always wanted to go to an Ivy League school. And when I got into Cornell, I, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't have expectations that were, you know, to be a professional athlete or whatever. I just wanted to play football in, in college. And, you know, it kind of blew up on me um, in uh, my sophomore year. And back then we could only play, we couldn't play as freshmen. We had freshman football. So, you know, I had sort of a, you know, a pretty good freshman year, but nothing that would have indicated what was to come. And, um, you know, my sophomore year, I just, uh, you know, everything sort of fell into place. And, you know, I was, uh, I, I was third team all American. I, I, I led the country in, uh, in rushing, um, it, yards per game, which the next two years, they, that's how they calculated, you know, cause we only played nine games in the Ivy league and, and the, the people who were ahead of me played 10 games. So their total was bigger than mine, but my average was number one my sophomore year. And then the next two years, I was, uh, I led the nation. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I certainly didn't expect it. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. And, uh, Ivy League football is uh, kind of a league in its own. It's very uh, unique. It's the oldest league in the, in the country and a lot of tradition and uh back in in those days we were still division one so we were kind of we could still be you know i was all american my i was all third team all american my sophomore year first team all american my junior and senior year you know against you know schools like alabama and tennessee and usc so uh again it was certainly something I never expected to happen so it's uh it's 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 been great you know so I'm a big fan of college football uh, mostly Ivy League football but you know I and then uh, it was the NFL which is again something that I you know I didn't never thought about the NFL I was thinking about being a, making the team at Cornell so it was a big leap for me but it was fun and very exciting and and, uh, you know, my, uh, my son, you know, he's, uh, unfortunately he's painfully aware of what I did. And I put a little pressure on him, but he's a, he's a stud. He's a stud. 
No doubt. I want to mention as well, I forgot to mention, you won the 1971 Maxwell Award as well, which people don't know goes to the top player in college football. Um, one stat that just sort of blew my mind, I just read, you actually hold two NCAA records. Most rushes per game in a season in 1971, you averaged 39.6 rushes per game. And then from 1969 to 1971, career average carries per game, you averaged 34 carries per game. I, I have to ask, how are your knees these days? Because I feel like that had to take a major toll on you. That's unfathomed nowadays, carrying the ball almost 40 times a game. Well, you know, fortunately, my knees are okay. There's <laughs> other parts of my body that are pretty banged up. But, um, yeah, you know, I was um, I was more of a slasher and not a banger. You know, I, I – uh, out of bounds with my friend, you know. Uh, <laughs> I – uh you know, unfortunately, I didn't take a lot of shots at my knees, never had any injuries with problems with my knees. So knock on wood. But, you know, yeah, anybody who played ball in that position as long as I did, which, you know, college and six years in the NFL, when you get to the certain stage in your life, kind of it's going gonna, it's gonna to rear its ugly head. But, you know, I'm okay. I'm doing good. And uh, well, as long as my organs – are, are, are functioning properly my brain is working at least I think it is and um, it's all good no doubt so I want to talk about your NFL career as well you were a two-time NFC champion in 1973 and 1974 um, 50th pick overall in the second round of the 1972 NFL draft by the Minnesota Vikings also bounced around to the Jets and the Seahawks you also appeared uh, in two Super Bowls with the Vikings, scored 13 touchdowns in your NFL career. When you look back on your NFL career, obviously the times are different, but when you look back on that NFL career, what do you remember most from playing in the NFL? Well, you know, I was lucky to go to the Vikings. Um, we were a good team. I, you know, I was a East Coast New York guy going to – my initial feeling about going to Minnesota is I thought I was going to Siberia. <laughs> but, um, you know, it turned out to be really good. It was a great experience. But to be honest with you, I, I don't know why they drafted me because I did not fit into their kind of system. And, you know, people people talk about my career in the NFL, and, you know, judging from what I did in college. A lot of people have said it was kind of disappointing but, you know, I, I've, I've come to, you know, look, and I look at other guys, you know, I'm, I follow football to a certain degree. Uh, but, you know, you got to be in the right place in the right time. And I don't think I really fit into the Viking system back then. Um, the two things that I never did in college was I never caught the ball and I never blocked. And that's the two things they had me doing in Minnesota. And, you know, this is not something when people ask me, you know, about my athletic career and what I think my greatest accomplishment was. And I tell them blocking in the NFL, because I never did it before. I had to learn it. And, and, you know, you're blocking some of the best athletes in the world who don't want to be blocked. <laughs> and it, it, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, I was primarily, as you know, I ran the ball 40 times a game in college, and then they had me, you know, uh, blocking and, and catching passes. I, in 1975, I set the Viking record for most catches in the game. I caught 11. 
and I and I was third in the NFC and sixth in the NFL in receiving in 1975. I caught 54 passes. And I was playing alongside a great player, Chuck Foreman. And we, I think at the time, we set a record for most catches by two running backs. But, you know, I, I, I caught 11 passes in my whole career in college. And I caught 11 in one game. So I, I don't think I was a real good fit in Minnesota. and. That's part of the reason that I, I left. But, you know, the, the, the only validation for personal validation for me was, uh, you know, I went to the Jets in, in 76, and we weren't a very good team. And there's a bit of a little South Carolina connection because my head coach for the Jets for that almost one year was Lou Holtz. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. So that was kind of a, you know, kind of a very uh, strange, odd year for me. But I did have back-to-back hundred-yard rushing games uh, with the, with the Jets, which I didn't ever do that in Minnesota because they gave me the ball. They let me run in Minnesota. They never let me run. So you know, I I I'm, I could argue that for the rest of my life. I, at least I know that. I was a quality running back, but you had to give me the ball, just like any running back. If you're getting four or five touches a game, you're not going to be productive. In in Minnesota, in, 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 with the Jets, they gave me the ball. I think I, my biggest game, they gave me the ball 31 times. So um, I look at my career in the, in, in the NFL with, you know, sort of mixed feelings. I think I was, wasn't, you know, fortunate to be go to a team that you know I fit in, but I I did really enjoy my years. I got to play for a great coach, Bud Grant, and uh, played with some Hall of Famers. You know, Carl Eller, Jim Marshall, uh, Fran Tarkenton, John Gilliam was a great wide receiver for them, and you know it was it was a it was a great. And going to two Super Bowls was pretty was pretty cool, even though we lost. It was uh, it was pretty cool. No doubt. So obviously your NFL career, your football career wraps up and you get into acting. I was looking at your, uh, the IMDB database page, if you will. And I, I see, I guess you started acting right around 1978. And obviously we'll get to the, the Blue Mountain State series in a second. I'm sure everybody's familiar with, but just kind of talk about what led you go, to go from a football career to an acting career. What, what led to the interest there? Well, basically I needed a job after the NFL <laughs> and uh you know I uh I met some people I had spent some time in LA and you know I met some people who um you know I don't you might not know this today but I was a really good looking guy back in the old days <laughs> and uh, they uh like they kind of discovered me and encouraged me to come out to Hollywood and so I did, and you know, I got pretty lucky early. I, you know, I did some good stuff, and the big, my biggest break was getting on. I don't know if you know, I'm sure you don't, but the Hill Street Blues. I've heard which of it. Was at the yeah, well, at the time, it's probably the most honored, critically acclaimed show on television, and this is long before cable and uh, Netflix and all that stuff. But it was. Uh, it was nominated for I don't know, a gazillion Emmys and won a ton of them. And, uh, 
Um, I just happened to get lucky with that. That was a, that was a big break for me. And then, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I, I had my Cornell degree, which to me was sort of my ace in the hole. And I knew that I was single and I, you know, I kind of just was kind of a, trying to figure out what I really wanted to do after my NFL career was over. And, you know, I knew I could always go to work. I know I could get a job, but uh, it kind of wasn't in my DNA. You know, I wanted to my little something more exciting and um you know being an actor ain't easy you know you gotta get lucky and and i got lucky that's the, that's the, you know, all the you could have all the talent in the world you gotta you gotta get lucky and i got lucky with um you know as an athlete they always said luck is when preparation meets opportunity and, and the only thing you can never depend on is the opportunity the only thing you can be sure of is your preparation and when I got my break, I was prepared. I was in an acting class. I spent time in acting class in Los Angeles. I studied in New York when I played for the Jets. And then when I got a break, I took advantage of it. So, so that's something I'm kind of proud of. But you know what? I've, I've lived a charmed life, man. I got. I, I can't certainly can't complain. I got. Um, you know, I made a a lot of money, and I got to kiss girls I didn't know, and it was uh, it was. Pretty cool. I, I was going to say, just kind of going back to what you're talking about after the NFL, you realize you got to get a job. How, how I guess, is there any, uh, maybe some jealousy when you look at the, uh, the guys in the NFL now? I mean, you can be a guy, the last guy on the bench making, you know, over a million dollars. I know the money wasn't nearly as lucrative back in the day, but I, I mean, you, you, you got you to gotta wonder where was that money back when you were playing, right? Well, you know what? It's sort of like a blessing. And I say that because, you know, when I when I was done, even when I was playing, I knew I was going to have to get a job when I was done. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sort of motivates you to be the certain kind of person. You know, if I had a gazillion dollars like some of these guys, you know, we were the last great generation. And I'm, and I'm not just saying that because I played with guys who went on to really do special, exceptional things in their lives after football, because we all knew we were going to have to get a job. We all knew that our careers in the NFL were going to, our, our greatest asset was our, good, our reputation and our goodwill. And we kind of didn't want to screw that up. You know, we, we, it, because if, in my day, if you got busted for something, if you got arrested for something, you were done. You were going to be working for the uh, park services someplace. Um, but I played with guys who became doctors, lawyers, you know, really great professionals, because we knew that that, that you know, we took advantage of our, our, our notoriety in the NFL into our the second phase of our lives. And I don't think that's the case today. I think these kids today, you know, they got so much money, they, they, they have no motivation. You know, they don't care. They, 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 they don't think about the future because they don't have to, unless they're freaking morons. And a lot of them are, unfortunately. You know, we, the money we made 
we saved, man. I saved so much. I was making nothing. But, man, I invested it in mutual funds. And I, you know, I, I, I had to be a little more mature than these guys are today. So, you know, I'm not, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how my, my life would have been different if I made a lot of money. You know, that's the root of all evil, baby. Money. It can ruin you. And you give too much money to these kids today, and every every day you see examples of how, you know, it kind of ruins people's life. It takes away all the motivation to, you know, really do something in your life. You know, nowadays, these guys are never going to do, I shouldn't say that. There, I'm sure there are guys, there's, there are special guys in the NFL who do really great things. But it's, it's, it's much more challenging than when I was playing, because we knew we had to get jobs. We, they, in order to support our families and whatever, we, we were going to have to do something in our lives after football. And these kids don't really have to. We had to. So it's a very different generation, very different set of sensibilities. And I'm really proud of my generation and the guys who played during that year. They're the greatest generation. Very well said. Very well said. All right, let's, so let's get to it. On January 11th, 2010, in my opinion, the greatest show to ever hit TV, <laughs> to ever hit Netflix especially, was released. Blue Mountain State, the American TV sitcom that premiered on Spike. Um, obviously about football, sex, binge drinking, partying, all the stuff in college. Um, it really a, a fantastic show, hilarious. Talk about how that role came about, I guess, and with your football background, was it a no-brainer to uh, to take the role in that? Well, it's kind of uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version, but you know, I I actually was a, a longtime friend of the guy who ran Lionsgate Studios. Mm-hmm fellow named John Feldheimer and I happened to run into him at a party in LA and you know I was kind of in between gigs and stuff and and he said you know we got something that you would be right for um but it's not going to happen for a few months so you know typical Hollywood kind of talk you know you people talk and you never really hear about it again but uh, sure enough, uh, my agent called me and said, well, this is, they're doing a series. It's about a football team and, you know, whatever. So I, uh, you know, I, I auditioned for this role. And I, you know, read for all the guys who, you know, uh, Romanski, uh, who was one of the producers who was in the show, and Eric Falconer, who uh, was one of the producers and writers. I read for all these guys. I was the first person to audition for the role of Marty Daniels. And um, I had a football coach in high school. His name was Emil Karlick. And this was in New Jersey. Emil was a piece of work. I mean, he, he, uh, he motivated in a very unique way. And one of the greatest pre-game talks I ever had as an athlete was by Emil Karlick. We were playing Saddlebrook High School back in 1965. We were playing Saddlebrook. Saddlebrook was 0-7. And I was a sophomore. 
at New Milford, and we were 0-7. So Emil Karlick walks into the locker room before the game, and he says, all right, you guys, listen up. We're playing Saddlebrook today. They stink, and you stink. Now let's go see who stinks the most. So when I was, you know, auditioning for Marty Daniels, that speech was in my head. And that was the, that was the, the kind of the tone. Every time I would do a scene in Blue Mountain State, I would run those lines through my head. I would go, you stink and they stink. And so when I auditioned, I kind of channeled Emil Karlick in my audition. And obviously I got the role. But it was, uh, I was very excited. It was a lot of fun. You know, obviously it was a great, you know, character. It wasn't your typical college coach coach. so um and i had a ball i had a ball doing it and the best thing about it is it resonated with a whole different you know guys like you you know i'm this old man i got all these fans who are like you know my son's my son's teammates like they go crazy when they see me you know, it's like weird. They expect me to like, uh, I don't know what they expect me to do, but they expect me to do something really weird, you know, but um, it's, it's really been fun, you know, and uh, we're, we're, I'm still working on it. We're going to see if we can kind of recreate the whole excitement someplace else. So. For sure. So like you mentioned, Chris Romano was uh, one of the guys that co-created and also acted in it was obviously mascot Sammy Cassator or as they just called him, mascot. I mean, what was – I remember when I first heard that he was basically the guy that was behind the scenes of everything, and I almost just couldn't believe it, I guess, just because of his character. I mean, what was he like offset maybe? Because he was hilarious in his role of mascot. I, I think everybody loved that role. Yeah, those um, – you know, it, it's it's not until you look back, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but – you know, we, we did some, you know, obviously we did the over-the-top gross crap, you know. <laughs> but a lot of the stuff we did was so clever. I mean, clever is a, is a word that, you know, it, it has a certain meaning to it. It's the kind of thing that you, when you see something clever, you, you, it's, it, you pause before it kind of hits you. It's not really in your face. And we did a lot of in your face, you know, stuff. But a lot of it was, and this is coming from a guy, you know, who's several generations removed from who the target audience for the show was. But, you know, it was clever shit, man. It was, it was, it was funny, funny. That I laughed at it, you know. I, I really laughed at it. You know, some of the stuff I had to do, I would cringe. But the other stuff was just, funny and not even the stuff I was doing some of the stuff I, I made me really laugh it was good it was special and it was you know it was a bit of a cultish type deal and um because it was on spike tv not a lot of people saw it but when, once it went to netflix it kind of brought the audience and it's like you know it, it's crazy the fans of this show and they're they're you know they're they're fans who are 
30 years old and because of Netflix, they're fans that are 15 years old. I get 15 year old boys <laughs> coming up to me, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of creepy, but, um, you know, they're, uh, our fan base is very broad and very avid and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah, I was going to say, how often, I mean, because you guys are all professional actors, obviously, but I mean, how often would you just stop in the middle of a scene and just burst out laughing? Because I know, like you said, some of it was just, it was so clever and so ridiculous that I have to imagine it, there, there were some scenes that were even hard to do for you guys just because of how outrageous it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you, absolutely. I mean, Alan Richson, who played Fab, you know, I... I did a bunch of scenes with him and he would just make me just crack up. He was, he was one of the funniest guys. He was just, he was so talented. He was, you know, he was, and he wasn't, he wasn't anything like the character in real life. I mean, he, that character was genius and it was all, it was all him. You know, he really took that character and he brought a, he brought that, <laughs> that quality. It was hysterical. He was just funny, you know, and everybody, you know. And then um, um, Darren Brooks, who played uh, uh, the, our quarterback. Uh, Alex Moran. Alex Moran. Yeah, he was he, – he kind of sort of accepted what his role was, but he was so good at it. You know, he was <laughs> – you know, kind of brought a sensibility to it in a crazy world. He tried to bring a sensibility. It was, it was great. We, we were – you know, I don't know. You know, we, the thing about the show is that, you know, in the world we live in today, this ever-changing social environment, um, what was funny just two or three or four years ago is not funny anymore because of, uh, you know, all these different movements and, I mean, you could when you sort of cringe sometimes when you look at what we were doing back, you know, four years ago when we did the show, and now you look at it now, and it's so socially, you know, unacceptable to a fault. And I mean, I don't agree with it, you know, but but you know, we did some sort of you know stuff that uh, you know that people could easily criticize. So that's it's kind of sad, but you know, we we have a difficult laughing at ourselves, and we have trouble recognizing satire and, and, and farcical stuff you know everybody takes everything so damn seriously you know that it's hard to do anything that's funny because yeah. you know when you do something funny it usually means you're sort of poking fun at something or someone now it's it's impossible to make fun of anybody <laughs> without being you know taking the task for it so yeah, I was just going to agree with you. One thing you said earlier, I think one thing that made the show so great is like every character, I feel like it was so believable. And especially I think for people that have played sports at any level, you almost, you related so much. I feel like, like on every team, it feels like there isn't Alex Moran or a Thad Castle or Shiloh or especially Radon Randell, like being the, you know, there, there's like those guys are on, it feels like every team. And then, you know, the head coach, the crazy head coach, Marty Daniels, who's just like off his rocker, like plenty of people have played for coaches that are just nuts. So I feel like that was the biggest thing about the show. It was just so relatable in that sense that, and it was, and it was kind of, when I think of the show, I think of it almost as that 
like the stuff that was going on as far as like the hundred dollar handshakes and all the drugs at the parties and the girls and like that's what people really think goes on behind the scenes at like even today like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, Michigan. And then I feel like stuff that comes out like the Louisville scandal, I think that was like a year or two ago where it's they were they were uh, you know, bringing out uh, prostitutes and stuff like that. I mean, it, it almost more so solidifies what was going on in the show, I feel like, makes it even more funny, in my opinion. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was, a, it was, it was sort of steeped in reality, but it was also like, like it was a fantasy. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, like heightened reality. It was, you know, I have, what do I remember, you know, most about it, how many kids say, that's where I would love to go to school. <laughs> it's not really, yeah, but it's, it sounds, it, it's like a fantasy. It's like, you know, you got hot chicks and everybody's getting drunk and everybody's, you know, it's like, you know, it's all, it's everything that people would hope colleges except studying, you know, and um, that's what made it funny. You know, it's, 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 I don't know how people will look at it in, um, in years to come you know maybe people kind of lighten up but i'm you know i I, i'm curious because i you know i'd like to see the show kind of get a reboot you know i'd like to see how if we could sort of do a you know another 2019 2020 version of blue mountain state and how it would it's got to be you can't just let it die because mm. I think it's really there's still an audience would like to see it, you know, kind of updated and deal with this the current social climate. And I think it would be you can make it it still could be very funny, but it could be much more topical. So, you know, I mean, I, I really do. I think it could be a reboot could be really funny with all the the, the different you know, kind of social issues that are so kind of dominating the, the headlines today. And, and I think it could be fun. It could, it could be even more satirical than, than it was. So, you know, I'm, that's what I'm kind of working on. You know, I, I'm, I'm not retired, but I'm, uh, you know, kind of enjoying the good life. But, I, you know, I think it'd be fun to do something that didn't require me working too much. But but you would come back as Mountain Goats head coach, correct? Going for your uh, what, like ninth national championship or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know that would be fun. I, I mean, I, I think I, I really think that my character kind of uh, they, a lot of people love the character, and I, and I think that you know the only real kind of feasible way to maybe do it is you know Coach Marty, you know, with his he's sort of been exile to the you know nobody wants coach marty anymore because he's, he's violated so many nca protocols <laughs> things you know that he ends up the only job he can get is a d3 school and he has to coach the girls swim team as well you know i think it would be really funny to see him like a bad news bears type thing you know in a in a different environment so uh you know we're, we're, i'm working on a few things that uh Hopefully we can get off the ground. Uh, that's definitely great for fans of the show like myself to hear, no doubt. Um, obviously, tons of different moments, clips, you know, episodes that are so memorable. Um, I think specifically it's so funny. What I was watching before I came on this interview was the 
I think it's one of the first episodes. You obviously uh, you ask Alex Moran, where does he come from? You ask Shiloh, where does he come from? <laughs> Mountain Goats, where we come from? We come from our father's balls. I like to believe you made that lineup. Was that something that was uh, that was written in there, or did you make that lineup on your own? No, that was that was all written. That was written, and um, yeah, that was that was the pilot episode. That was the first episode of the show, and I, I think it kind of set the tone for what was to come. You know, I mean, it was so so freaking absurd. You know, um, yeah, I think that 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 sort of defined where we were going, who we were as a as a show, who we were as a team who I was as a coach. <laughs> yeah. So that, 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 look, you look back at now, that would, that'd be so sexist. You know, people would like, <laughs> now if you did that, people would like skewer you for, you know, you just don't come from your father's balls. What about your mother? You know? <laughs> so that, 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 that's kind of, we've lost our sense of humor. No doubt. If you had to pick one moment or episode or anything of that nature, is there any from doing the show that stands out? Like maybe one episode that stands out that was either funnier or more absurd or just one that stands out in your memory above all the other ones? Uh, God, you know, let me think for a second. I know, I know there's two that stand out for me, if you want to know what they are. Two, like two of my favorite. Ahead, tell, me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Definitely the pocket pussy episode with Thad. That one's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's ridiculous. And then specifically one to you is the dick pic episode. That one is extremely yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> that one's extremely yeah, that funny. Was, that was funny. I, I kind of, you know, I, I got hit in the head a lot of times, so I don't remember a lot of the stuff. But um, – <laughs> I know there was, um, it, I, you know, there was always, I can't remember, but there was always some things that, you know, when I said clever, things that I thought were just really, really clever stuff. You know, remember the, do you remember the episode where Thad was like uh, hallucinating and we were all these like crazy figures these, uh, with hoods on and he right. was seeing us, yeah. you know, that, I thought that was, that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, we, we had a lot of really great moments and, you know, the, I thought the, the, the funny thing, do you remember when they, the, the, the transvestite episode where the, the, the transvestite wanted, um, uh, Shiloh's balls on his face. Yeah, you know if we would do that. That's, oh yeah. I mean that was that was kind of, that was kind of funny. I mean I can't believe that. That was probably one of the crudest, rudest <laughs> ones we ever did. I I thought that was kind of really pushed the envelope, if you will. No, but yeah, there were there were a lot of great episodes. I I haven't seen watched them in a long time. And, you know I gotta maybe go back. No doubt. So, you know, obviously yeah. the, the, uh, do I, you know, the, the best thing about it was I had a really hot wife though. That was the best part. <laughs> no, yeah, you did. Denise Richards was pretty easy, pretty easy to look at. I got to tell you. Yeah. Pretty easy to work with. I imagine. Right. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So you guys go three seasons, obviously the, uh, you know, the show gets canceled if you will. Um, 
in 2000, what was it, 2016, Blue Mountain State, the rise of Thadland comes out. Obviously, I remember the news coming out specifically far before that. Everybody's super excited. There's a Blue Mountain State movie coming out. There was $1.5 million raised on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter was launched in April 2014. $1.5 million goal. It hits the goal, and the film is released in February 2016. You know, you talked about kind of earlier – as far as how cool it was to hit a different type of t- different demographic, as far as your fan base is concerned. I mean, how cool was it to, you know, you knew people watched the show, but not only get the outpour of support you guys got to make the, uh, the blue mountain state movie. You know, what was the amazing part for me was we had people who don't, cause we had two, three screenings of the movie. One was in LA, one was in New York, and one was down in Florida. And we had people from all over the world. I mean, literally all over the world who, who we invited because they, you know, they gave to the, the Kickstarter campaign. We had a guy who, who ran a hedge fund out of Paris, and he barely spoke English. And he gave, I don't know how much money he gave to have a speaking role. He had one line in one of the scenes, you know, in the movie. And and at the screening, these guys flew in from all over the world. I really don't think that, that the powers that be, I don't really think um, Lionsgate to this day really understands and appreciates what a, rabid crazy fan base we have again it's cultish and these our fan base is sort of coming of age if you will it's kind of one of these shows that you know when you were when they were 22 years old and the show came out when they were in college and now these guys that was 2010 or 11 now these guys are 30 years old but this is part of their you know college experience yeah that, i was I gonna say you that's, know who, you that's know, literally you, me you know i was in college in 2010 and now i'm 28 so yeah 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 but yeah. but i mean it, it kind of and i played in a in a pro-am golf tournament for the lpga in in palm springs california and i was you know kind of paired in the pro-am with michelle Wee. And you, you know who Michelle Wee is? Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I, you know, I see the day before I'm paired with her to play in the field, and it's kind of cool. And I go to the first tee, and she comes walking over to me, and says, "I was so excited when I saw I was playing with you, <laughs> because I watch every episode with the football team at Stanford when I was in college, because she went to Stanford." <laughs> And she said, could, could we, you take your picture with me? <laughs> now, I wanted my picture with her, but she asked first. But it was like, uh, I mean, it's, it, was, it was amazing. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's going to live on. You know, and I, you know I, I, every time I think it's, um, you know, kind of dying off. I mean, you know, I, I, get, I get mobbed some places I go to, you know, because of all these kids. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy. But it's fun. 
Absolutely. So like you mentioned before, you're down in Florida, obviously doing a little fishing, living the not so much the retired life, but uh, but taking in life as it comes, obviously enjoying yourself. But, uh, you know, what's what's next for Ed Marinero? What's next for Coach Marty Daniels? Do you think there's a Blue Mountain State? How, how realistic of a possibility is some either the show itself or a spinoff of kind of what Blue Mountain State was making a return? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, as far as a spinoff, um, you know, I, I, I listen, I, it, like, I got that, I got, you know, two and a half million views on this, this little video I did. So it's sort of, uh, kind of, um, what's the word? It's, it, it, it just shows that there's still an appetite that people, I mean, they just saw my face. And everybody viewed, and they, you know, they responded. I got, you know, six thousand comments on the thing, you know. And you know more about social media than I do, but that, that, that's kind of significant. So it's something that I, I hope people don't ignore. Um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm still working. I'm, I'm about to go to New York next week, and I'm working on the, the new Sopranos movie i don't know if you heard about wow, that but they're doing, a, they're doing a they're doing a they're doing a prequel to the series taking place in 1967 and i got a fun little uh role in the, in the deal which um you know more like a cameo type thing but it's mm-hmm. going to be fun be in new york for a week and uh you know i, I still you know people call me about doing different things and you know, I have a, like I said, I have a son who's a sophomore in high school now, and he um, he's a really, very, very gifted athlete and plays three sports. So, you know, until he's out of done with his stuff, I'm not going to leave, and I'm not going to go to LA and work for two months or whatever. You know, I'll do little things here and there, but I'm not going to be away from my family. So, until he leaves for college. I'm kind of limited to what I want to do, but self-limitation. Um, Cause I do get, you know, I get calls all the time about doing stuff. So yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the concept of working is a lot more exciting than actually doing it. You know, <laughs> no I mean, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass now. You know? It's just <laughs> sitting around whatever. And, you know, I'd rather be golfing fishing or something no doubt so ed before i let you go something kind of fun I, obviously we talked pre-show you learning about me a little bit about the spurs up show obviously trying to our goal is or my goal is to make the spurs up show the best gamecocks outlet on the internet not just the best gamecocks podcast but best outlet have myself be the best gamecocks personality you can find on the internet on social media etc cetera, etc cetera. If I were to ask Coach Marty Daniels for either a motivational speech or his best piece of advice to me, if I was asking you that, what uh, what do you think he would say? What he would say was, you know, hey, listen, you're as good as anybody. You're as good as anybody out there. You can't have self-doubt. You've got to be – you got to think you can be the best and be the most interesting – and you got to bust your ass and hustle because that's what it's all about. And you know what? You throw enough shit up against the wall, something's going to stick. And you're going to get your shot. You're going to get your shot at the big time. But it takes, you know, it, it takes time. 
But you know what? You got to think you're the best. That's all that matters. You got to think you're the best. You can't wait for somebody else to tell you. That's what I would tell you. So stop fucking around and get your shit together. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Ed. Appreciate you taking the time again. Ed Marinero, and you know him better as Coach Marty Daniels, but Ed definitely will be following along with you. Obviously, Gamecocks lacrosse right now in the middle of trying to win a national championship. I'm sure if they take care of business, we will hear more from you. I might have to reach out to you directly and see if we can see if we can post the next video that gets a 2.5 million views. I wouldn't mind that at all. But yeah, Ed, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a blast. Let's do it again soon for sure. Okay, and man, remember we got a little uh, like uh, 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 a little fundraiser going on for the the cross team. Anybody wants to throw a few bucks to to sort of defray some of the costs these guys have going out to Salt Lake. That would be much appreciated. I know that. So, yeah, what's those Gamecocks kids? The the Venmo account again. I think it's Gamecock Lacrosse, or is it Gamecocks Lacrosse? I think it's Gamecocks Lacrosse. And Gamecocks uh, Lacrosse. Yeah, just check it out. These guys are, you know, they're, they're, you know, these are, they're, they're, you know, doing this. They love the game, and they're representing uh, the Gamecocks. So, uh, any kind of help would show you their appreciation for what they're doing. They're working hard, and they got this far, so they should be recognized and help them uh, pay for some of their airfares and stuff getting out there. Absolutely, listen to the man. Go give, go donate to uh, to Gamecocks Lacrosse on Venmo. Uh, Make sure to donate to those guys. Help them out with their trip from Salt Lake City again. Ed, appreciate you taking the time, man. Let's do it again. Okay, man. Remember one thing: go Cox and go Goats. <laughs> yes, sir. So for Ed Marinero, I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.